This is literally everything, 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 everything. If you're like me, you have a pile of books older than your grandma's mom and taller than the Empire State Building just begging to be read. To top it off, you probably add several books to said pile every week, yet somehow find yourself in a reading slump with nothing to read. Uh Uh-huh, I see you. In an attempt to tackle my never-ending pile of books, I decided to start a podcast with hopes of making some sort of dent in said pile, and maybe help inspire your next read. I'm Odell. Welcome to Just Read It Already. Happy Monday, folks, or happy whatever day you're listening to this. We are already at the end of July, which is crazy to me. And as of this recording, summer has been pretty bearable here in the Pacific Northwest. Hope I didn't just jinx myself. Before we jump into the new releases and this week's reviews, I'd like to ask that you take a moment to rate and follow the show on whatever podcast app you're listening on, and then hop over to Instagram and give the show a follow there. I post pretty much every day. It's all book-focused. I post review snippets, new books I've received, all kinds of other bookish news. The handle is at JustReadItAlreadyPod. I'm also on Threads, the Twitter alternative, and if you follow me there, I have a thread going for current reads, and I do periodic check-ins and thoughts as I'm reading, almost like a play-by-play of whatever book I'm reading at the moment. There are minor spoilers attached to my threads, but I try not to give too much away. Just enough to pique your interest in the book. I have the same handle there. Again, it's at Just Read It Already Pod. All right, with that said, let's see what's new to shelves this week. First on the list is Tom Lake by Anne Patchett. I love Anne Patchett. In this beautiful and moving novel about family, love, and growing up, Anne Patchett once again proves herself one of America's finest writers. I already have that one on pre order. Next, we have Family Lore by Elizabeth Acevedo, Acevedo, A-C-E-V-E-D-O. This is the story of one Dominican-American family told through the voices of its women as they await a gathering that will forever change their lives. Then we have Just Another Missing Person by Jillian McAllister, a new heart-stopping thriller in which a missing person case unravels deeper, darker secrets that lead a detective to an impossible moral choice. Then we have Crossed by Emily McIntyre, This is book five in the Never After series, described as a dark and delicious fractured fairy tale reimagining of the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Then we have The Keeper of Hidden Books by Madeline Martin, described as a heartwarming story about the power of books to bring us together, inspired by the true story of the underground library in World War II, Warsaw. Then we have A Bakery in Paris by Amy K. Runyon, This captivating historical novel set in 19th century and post-World War II Paris follows two fierce women of the same family, generations apart, who find that their futures lie in the four walls of a simple bakery. Then we have The Peach Seed by Anita Gale Jones. Fletcher Dukes and Altavis Benson reunite after decades apart and a mountain of secrets in this debut exploring the repercussions of a single choice and how an enduring talisman challenge and holds a family together. Then we have I'll Tell You No Lies by Amanda Macrina. 
This is a riveting young adult novel of the Cold War era about a girl in post-World War II America who becomes entangled with an escaped Soviet pilot and must learn to decipher truth from lies. Then we have Murder in the Family by Kara Hunter, a shocking thriller about a cold case, a fictional true crime series, and the family caught in the middle. Then we have Walk the Darkness Down by Daniel Magariel. This is described as a stunning novel about a couple trying to rebuild their lives in their deteriorating coastal town. Next is The Narrow by Kate Alice Marshall. No one survives a fall in The Narrow. Its current is too strong, however peaceful it appears. But school legend centers around it, including the tale of the drowning girl who, heartbroken, threw herself in, haunting students who wander alone at night. Definitely going to check that one out. Then we have A Little Like Walking by Adam Rex. You've Reached Sam meets The Good Place in this deeply felt, unconventional love story about a girl, a boy, a dreamer, and a dream. Then we have The Deja Glitch by Holly James. To break out of a 24-hour time loop, all Jack needs is for Gemma to fall in love with him in a single day. All Gemma needs is to remember him first. Then we have Speech Team by Tim Murphy, a propulsive, witty, and moving novel starring four precocious Gen X teens turned 21st century middle-agers who are seeking, well, if not exactly justice from a long-ago hurtful teacher, then at least some kind of long-desired reckoning and closure. Then we have The Freedom Clause by Hannah Sloan. Could one night off a year save a marriage or destroy it? In this bold and sexy debut, a young couple agrees to open their marriage, but they soon discover that a little freedom has surprising consequences. Sounds saucy. Next is Gone Tonight by Sarah Pekanen, I think. P-E-K-K-A-N-E-N. Catherine Sterling thinks she knows her mother. Ruth Sterling is quiet, hardworking, and lives for her daughter. All her life has been just the two of them against the world, but now Catherine is ready to spread her wings, move from home, and begin a new career. And Ruth Sterling will do anything to prevent that from happening. And lastly, The Connollys of County Down by Tracy Lang, a story about fierce family loyalty, good intentions gone awry, and the consequences of improbable love. That one was my pick for my book of the month in July, so I'll have a review of that one coming up soon. This week, I received Arcs of Dragged to the Wedding by Andrew Gray, Ellie Haycock is Totally Normal by Gretchen Schrieber, and Bless Your Heart by Linda Ryan, all courtesy of the publisher through NetGalley. All right, that's all I have there. Let's jump into the reviews. First on my list is The Wishing Game by Meg Schaefer. This book was first published on May 30th, 2023 by Ballantine Books. It was also my book of the month pick in June. The synopsis reads, Years ago, a reclusive mega best-selling children's author quit writing under mysterious circumstances. Suddenly, he resurfaces with a brand new book and a one-of-a-kind competition offering a prize that will change the winner's life in this absorbing and whimsical novel. Lucy Hart knows better than anyone what it's like to grow up without parents who loved her. In a childhood marked by neglect and loneliness, Lucy found her solace in books, namely the Clock Island series by Jack Masterson. Now, a 26-year-old teacher's age, she's able to share her love of reading with bright young students, especially seven-year-old Christopher Lamb, who was left orphaned after the tragic death of his parents. Lucy would give anything to adopt Christopher, but even the idea of becoming a family seems like an impossible dream without proper funds and stability. Just when Lucy is about to give up, Jack Masterson announces he's finally written a new book. 
Even better, he's holding a contest at his home on the real Clock Island, and Lucy is one of the four lucky contestants chosen to compete to win the one and only copy. For Lucy, the chance of winning the most sought-after book in the world means everything to her and Christopher. But first, she must contend with ruthless book collectors, wily opponents, and the distractingly handsome and grumpy Hugo Reese, the illustrator of the Clock Island books. Meanwhile, Jack the Mastermind Masterson is plotting the ultimate twist ending that could change all their lives forever. Like most of us did, when I was a kid, I read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and then Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. I used to dream about getting a golden ticket to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. I felt like I was a total shoe-in because I was a lot like Charlie. My family wasn't very well off. I was a good kid, shy, well-behaved, did what I was told. I wouldn't make the mistake of being greedy like the bad kids in the book, and I would stay as far away from those creepy little Oompa Loompas as I possibly could. Sadly, I never received a Colton ticket, nor did I get a letter to Hogwarts or any other magical place, but damn would I have loved one. Needless to say, I could totally relate to our protagonist Lucy, who one day receives a letter in the mail inviting her to spend a week on Clock Island for the chance to win the only copy of a book written by her favorite childhood author. When she was growing up, Lucy spent a lot of time alone. Her sister had an illness that made her especially susceptible to disease, so Lucy had to live with her grandparents, and her favorite escape was the Clock Island series of books. She loved them so much, she even ran away from home one time to live on Clock Island. Now, at 26, Lucy's life is still in shambles. She works as a teacher's aide, lives with roommates, she's riddled with debt, doesn't own a car, but desperately wants to adopt a foster child named Nicholas. In fact, it's the one thing she wants most in this world. So when she receives the letter telling her that if she wins the contest, she'll win the only copy of this book, she would then have the freedom to keep it or sell it as she pleases. She knows that selling the book would provide her the money she needs to get her own place, get a car, get out of debt, and finally adopt Nicholas. So Lucy packs her bags, sets off to the real live Clock Island where she and three other adults... All of them have a special connection to the author in the series, by the way. They will all compete over the next week to win the only copy of this book, and all of them will be tested in ways that will push them past their limits. I really love the premise of this book, and I was 100% rooting for Lucy. I wanted her to be able to adopt Nicholas so badly. And while I enjoyed the book very much, I went into it expecting a lot more surrounding the competition to win the manuscript. Instead, the book focuses more on Lucy and her personal struggles and growth than the actual game itself. And once I realized that, I was able to settle in and really enjoy the story, but I spent at least the first half or more waiting for the exciting, cutthroat shenanigans the four adults would endure as they fought to win the manuscript. Honestly, the actual game that's called out in the title amounts to only a small percentage of the book. And while I was happy to get to know Lucy and Nicholas and was rooting for them 100% of the way, I kind of wish I had gotten to know more about the other three adults that Lucy was competing against. I didn't feel like I knew a whole lot about them, they were just kind of there. But then again, this was very much Lucy's story and I can see why maybe the author made the choice to keep them as merely background players. All in all, I still enjoyed the book and I thought it was based on a great idea. It's a super quick read, I finished it in less than five hours, but again, I just wish we had gotten a little more of the competition aspect that the title implies. 
in the end, I ended up giving this one three and three quarter stars on my blog and on Storygraph, but rounded it up to four stars on Goodreads. Next, I'll share my thoughts on The Chateau by Jacqueline Goldis. This book released on May 23rd, 2023, and was published by Atria. This was one of my June Aardvark book club picks. The synopsis reads, Welcome to picturesque Provence, where the lady of the chateau, Seraphine de Margales, has opened its elegant doors to her granddaughter, Darcy, and three friends. Twenty years earlier, the four girlfriends studied abroad together in France and visited the old woman on the weekends, creating the group's deep bond. But why this sudden invitation? Amid winery tours, market visits, and fancy dinners overlooking olive groves and lavender fields, it becomes clear that each woman has a hidden reason for accepting the invitation. Then, after a wild evening celebration, Seraphine is found brutally murdered. As the women search for answers to this shocking crime, fingers begin pointing and a sinister Instagram account pops up, exposing snapshots from the friends' intimate moments at the chateau, while threatening to reveal more. As they race to uncover who murders Seraphine and is now stalking them, they learn the chateau houses many secrets, several worth killing for. I hate to say this, but I had really high hopes for this one, and sadly, it did not meet them. There were moments that I liked, and others that either fell flat or dragged for far too long. The first chapter is pretty strong. It begins with a scream and a dead body. You gotta love that. And we start off from Jade's point of view. Jade runs up to see why someone's screaming. She finds her friend standing outside the room of Seraphine, the elderly grandmother of her friend Darcy, and the owner of the French chateau they're all spending time in. By the end of the chapter, we learn that Seraphine has been stabbed to death, and Jade isn't exactly upset about the death. The author then takes us back two days before the murder, and we get a look at what led up to the murder. So, it turns out Seraphine invited the four friends, Seraphine's granddaughter Darcy, Arabelle, who is Seraphine housekeeper's granddaughter, and then Vix and Jade, two other friends, to spend some time in Provence, France, at her chateau. Darcy and Arabelle grew up together, They've been friends forever, and then Darcy met Vix and Jade while they were all studying abroad. So then Darcy would bring Vix and Jade back to her grandmother's chateau while they were in college, and the four girls spent a lot of time together. The women are really looking forward to reconnecting, looking forward to having a nice time, or so they think. The book alternates through several characters' first-person points of view, and I think this may have been one of the things that bogged the book down for me. There were far too many points of view, in my opinion. We heard from all four of the women. So again, we have Darcy. She's a married woman with two kids and Seraphine's granddaughter. Then we had Jade, Darcy's friend from college. She is a fitness enthusiast with teen children and a workaholic husband. Jade is also Jewish. And back in the day, someone in Provence, where the story takes place, turned her family over to the Nazis, sparing only her grandfather. So her connection to this area is very personal and one of the main plot points. And honestly, this storyline was one of the most interesting parts of the book. I, I really enjoyed it and the mystery around it. We also have Vix. Vix is a lesbian who is a breast cancer survivor, recently broke up with her girlfriend. Seraphine also has a strong bond with Vix for some reason. And then finally, we have Arabelle, a young woman whose grandmother was Seraphine's maid for many years. Arabelle currently is a famous chef and huge on Instagram. 
other points of view in the book, we have Seraphine before her murder. Then we have Rafe the gardener and Sylvie, Arabelle's grandmother. So in total, seven different points of view. Each of these people is a suspect in Seraphine's murder. None of them knows who to trust. There's also a very brief side story of an unknown Instagram handle sending threatening messages to the four women. Honestly, this storyline doesn't last long and in the end the reasoning behind it seemed really insignificant and kind of dumb. I felt like it was built up way too much in the synopsis and it appears in the first few chapters and then completely goes away from the narrative until much later in the book it's finally resolved. By the time we got to the resolution I was like oh yeah that thing and who cares. As I typically do I pegged the culprit about a quarter or halfway into the book so there was no real twist for me. In the end, I thought this one was just okay. I felt it dragged a lot and I didn't really care about any of the characters enough for there to be any real impact one way or another. This is definitely a slow burn. I might recommend it to someone who is looking for a slower paced mystery. For me, the burn was barely a smolder and I ended up giving it three stars on Goodreads, rounded up from two and three quarter stars on my blog and Storygraph. It's break time. I'll be right back. Next, we'll take a look at Big Gay Wedding by Byron Lane. This book was first published by Henry Holt and Company on May 30th, 2023. The synopsis reads, Two grooms, one mother of a problem. Barnett Durang has a secret. No, not that secret. His widowed mother has known he was gay for years thanks to an unfortunate internet search history when Barnett was in high school. The secret is Barnett is getting married at his mother's farm in their small Louisiana town. She just doesn't know it yet. It'll be an intimate affair. Just 200 or so of the most fabulous folks Barnett is shipping in from the heathen coast, as mom likes to call it. It's no secret that the wedding will be the biggest, gayest event in the town's history. But what no one in town can predict is that after the whirlwind, glitter-filled week, nothing will ever be the same. Big Gay Wedding is an uplifting book about the power of family and the unconditional love of a mother for her son. You're all invited to the biggest, gayest wedding of the year. This book was really cute and wasn't at all what I was expecting. The synopsis reads as though Barnett is this loud, flamboyant gay man who's coming home to a small town with an entire out and proud LGBTQIA posse to teach this small town a lesson or two about acceptance. But that's not what I got, which is 100% okay. I too come from a small conservative farm town, and I'm more of a quietly impactful proud gay than a loud and proud and in-your-face gay. Now for the record, there is absolutely nothing wrong with either of these types. We all play a part in the overall picture. That to say, I related to Barnett much more than I thought I would. Barnett has come home to his rural Louisiana town to visit his widowed mother. Barnett lives in California now, and it's been a while since he was last home. He's come to break the news to his mother, Chrissy, that he's met the man of his dreams and he really wants her to meet him. With the help of his pop-pop, or his grandfather, he finally breaks the news and conservative Chrissy isn't ready to hear it. She's known Barnett was different since high school when she found a How to Be Gay for Dummies book that he had ordered online, but she was certain he would grow out of it. She reluctantly agrees to meet Ezra, the love of Barnett's life, And as soon as she agrees, Ezra is on the next plane to Louisiana. 
Chrissy finds everything wrong in Ezra that she possibly can. She's certain she can convince Barnett to change his mind. But before she knows it, Ezra's parents and his sister are flying in from New York to meet Chrissy and Barnett. And within a few days' time, Ezra and Barnett have decided to get married. And Ezra's sister plans the wedding, which will take place on Chrissy's farm, and will be filled with go-go dancers, drag queens, lots of glitter, and the most fabulous decor this town has ever seen. Now, it's not long before word gets out around town that there's about to be a big gay wedding, and several folks aren't too happy about it. They're intent on stopping it. And now Chrissy has to make a choice. Will she support her beloved Barnett, or will she join the rest of the town and try to stop the wedding? This book was more focused on Chrissy than it was on Barnett. And while this isn't what I was expecting going into the book, I think it worked better that way. The book is told from the third person, so we get a much broader view of the various characters' thought processes, and we get to see the big picture. I felt this was super important when you're telling this kind of story, because I think if it had been told solely from Barnett's point of view, we would have hated Chrissy, and the book would have had a much different tone. The book does deal with homophobia in various forms, from intolerance to full-on ignorant hate, but it has a great message. The love is love, and everyone deserved to have and feel love. While I felt the book was too rushed in some places and dragged a bit in others, I did enjoy it overall. One thing that bothered me was the sudden change of heart of all of the homophobes in town. It just felt like they were hate, 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 and then all of a sudden, abruptly, they changed their tone and go about their business. It just seemed a little unrealistic to me. Maybe it's just because I'm jaded due to the state of our country right now. However, it didn't ruin the book. It was just felt a little rushed. There were several parts of the book that made me laugh out loud. There were even a few really sweet moments that made me a little misty-eyed. All in all, I did enjoy the book a lot, and I gave it four and a quarter stars on my blog and Storygraph, and four stars on Goodreads. I'll finish up with Emma Klein's The Guest. This book was first published by Random House on May 16th, 2023. This was also in my June Aardvark Book Club box. The synopsis reads, Summer is coming to a close on the east end of Long Island, and Alex is no longer welcome. A misstep at a dinner party, and the older man she's been staying with dismisses her with a ride to the train station and a ticket back to the city. With few resources and a waterlogged phone, but gifted with an ability to navigate the desires of others, Alex stays on Long Island and drifts like a ghost through the hedge lanes, gated driveways, and sun-blasted dunes of a rarefied world that is, at first, close to her. Propelled by desperation and a mutable sense of morality, she spends the week leading up to Labor Day moving from one place to the next, a cipher leaving destruction in her wake. Taut, propulsive, and impossible to look away from, Emma Klein's The Guest is a spellbinding literary achievement. I don't know what it is about Emma Klein's books that completely suck me in, but they do. On the surface, this book was so basic, but in the center, it's a very interesting character study on what it's like to be broke, alone, and desperate. The story itself is pretty simple. We have 22-year-old Alex. She's a sex worker from New York City. She's not good with money and owes a lot of money to a lot of people. She's learned to seek out men who can take care of her for long periods of time, but eventually they catch on and toss her aside. She owes several past roommates some money, and she has one guy in particular who relentlessly calls and texts her to get back what she owes him. When she meets a man named Simon, who has a place on Long Island, the two hit it off, 
she jumps at the chance to live in his big house with him through Labor Day. Things are going very well with Simon. He buys her expensive clothing, treats her very well. She feels like maybe Simon is someone she can finally settle down with. He could maybe help her change her life around. But then a misstep at a party and a minor fender bender in his beloved car that she doesn't tell leads Simon to abruptly ask Alex to pack her shit and leave, shattering her sense of security. He buys her a train ticket, asks his assistant to drive Alex to the train station, but then when she gets there, Alex decides she's not going to leave. She's convinced that Simon just needs to cool off. She decides she'll hang out on the island for a few days and then show up at his big Labor Day party at his house and make him see just how much he misses her. So over the course of the next few days, Alex continues to be harassed by Dom, the man she owes a lot of money to. He's closing in, he knows where she is, but she also meets several other people along the way. All people that she's able to effortlessly con into believing she's someone she's not, while she waits out the days until she can reconnect with Simon. So yeah, the plot of the book seems pretty basic. What you read in the synopsis and what I just gave you is basically all that happens. I was worried that I was not going to be into this book because it felt like it has nowhere to go. And while the journey isn't necessarily complex, I was absolutely fascinated with Alex's ability to con people. We know little to nothing about her upbringing or what got her into the sex trade or why she is who she is, but in the end it really doesn't matter because we probably wouldn't be able to believe what she said anyway because she's such an unreliable narrator, which, again, I love. We witness her lying and finagling her way through life, and while it feels kind of skeezy on one hand, he can't help but root for her. As much as I wanted her to learn a lesson the hard way and get her shit together, I also wanted her to be okay, and I wanted things to turn around for her with Simon. I wanted her to find what she was looking for. Now, Alex isn't the only one who's lost and alone. In fact, she meets many characters along her journey who are suffering in their own way. I loved watching how she connected with them and learned about their own struggles. One that was particularly interesting was the one, the connection that she has with a 17-year-old guy that she meets on the beach and then spends some time with him toward the end. Very interesting. Last week, I reviewed a book that I really didn't connect with at all. And I mentioned in my review that the story never went anywhere. There was no real ending to it. And the funny thing is, this book was kind of the same way. There's a cliffhanger ending, but in the end, I liked this one. And I think the difference between last week's book and this one was the main character. As flawed as Alex was, I cared about her. Whereas in the book last week, I hated the main character. So I guess I found the determining factor as far as what will bump up my final rating of a book. And while the story wasn't super deep, the character study was. So if you're someone who needs a complex plot with a clear ending, this book is definitely not for you. But if you're someone who loves an unreliable main character and a more character-driven book, I would highly recommend this one. I ended up rating it four stars on all platforms. That's all I have for this week. Please join me next week when I review All That We Never Were by Alice Kellen, The Whispers by Ashley Adrain, Your Lonely Nights Are Over by Adam Sass, and The Spectacular by Fiona Davis. Have a great week. 